Um, Jan Coons, how you doing? Mate, I'm I'm super well, man. I'm missing our um our podcast HQ in Hyber and Islington. Yeah. Um, it's sad to see you so far away. I know. Um, Sunday night zooming. That's where we're at now, listeners. Listeners are having to suffer through this, you know, this poor yeah. comparatively. Um, we can only apologize for the zoom the zoom audio um but the rest of the audio for the the rest of the episode is is great is it it's all on zoom i mean it's <laughs> it's, it's great is... by our our standards <laughs> no we're, we're killing it at the moment in the, in the yeah we in don't the... have our, our usual lovely mics and, and everything so uh yeah. the content itself is first rate in this episode the best it's amazing it is first rate you're going to learn so much because um, we have the Rosemary Baker on the podcast. The one and only. Yeah. Um, Will, tell us about Rosemary Baker. What's she like? Oh, where to start? She, she's just a lovely, uh, lovely human being. That's first and foremost. Um, Yain and I both met her at Aesthetica Film Festival where she was showing her film Lesbian, which she did um, through Channel 4's Random Acts. Uh, and we spent like a week just with her, basically, like going around to different films, to different talks and going out to the pub and going for coffees. It was, yeah, it was awesome, wasn't it? It was a great week. Yeah, it was. Um, this film, short, the short film Lesbian, um, did really well on the film festival circuit. So it won best short form at the Celtic Media Awards, um, the Welsh Film Prize, the Cardiff Mini Film Festival, and then had an official selection at Iris Prize, as well as, of course, Aesthetica and the European Short Film Festival, to name but a few well. To name but a few, but a few, and she's also made documentaries. You know, documentaries. Yeah, um, she made she made one for Channel Four called "How's Making on OnlyFans," which we go into in the podcast. She was also directed an episode of Haley Goes Naked" for BBC Three as well, which we also go into. We go into loads of things like the pitching process. You know how she, you know, the difference between directing a short film like Lesbian versus directing a documentary lots of little tips and tricks for for you guys mm, yeah like also like working with dps and the process with that and also like the business things of, of how things really work when you're directing for tv and big companies like the bbc and um, channel four yeah um i think it's gonna be it's a really really great episode and i can't wait for you guys to listen let's get into it will let's get into it Welcome to our podcast, Rose. Thank you um, so much for coming on Short Films, Big Questions. Um, how long has it been since we, yeah, we last saw you? Oh, man. Um, well, thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, oh, no I think it's been six months since we six met months. at the Aesthetica. Six months? I reckon so, right? Wow. November to yeah, May. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then how did you it's guys meet? Like, how did you and Will meet? at the Seneca Film Festival, because I met you through Will when I arrived, like a day mm. Well, we, we met a networking thing, right? Yeah, oh. we did. I think it was the first night of um, Aesthetica Film Festival where we were both present with films. And um, <laughs> I had rocked up to that festival just totally kind of not knowing anyone. There wasn't, I was, it was just me. I was like a sole representative of, um, of my project as well. So I was sort of like, God, I don't know anyone at all. And um, I think I just sort of like bulldozed into a conversation yeah. that you were having with some other people and just uh, decided that I was going to try and make friends. 
<laughs> and then like? we decided we decided we were more interesting than the people we were talking to, and yeah, really. made better friends with each other than whoever I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> It's all, it's always yeah, awkward those us. those networking events though, isn't it? Like you'll find if you're by yourself as well, you every every time you're by yourself, everyone else seems to be in a group and you're yeah. like, ah <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. really hard to approach a group I find. Um yeah. Yeah. try and focus on I find, I try to focus on the individuals. Um Yeah. When every part of you is like sort of cringing inside at the thought of just going and introducing yourself to a bunch of people already in conversation and then you have to just somehow like eat that. Yeah. And then yeah. just go and do it. Anyway, I'm yeah. glad because um, we had a lovely time at the festival, didn't we, Will? We did. We became festival allies, which was yeah. a, a lot nicer going to other networking events at the festival. Um, yeah. <laughs> as an as allies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you must have met you must have met Yian whenever you came down on Yeah, whenever. like I think I came down a day later and we basically like hung out for the whole of the festival. Um, yeah. which was really, really yeah. good. It was uh, really nice. To, it was such a lovely time. Like um, yeah, it really was. And now here we are, six months later, and you're on our podcast. Jazz hands, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. should we just, should we get right into it, ask you our first question? Let's get right into it. All right. Um, so, yeah, I wondered if, um, we wondered if you could just start talking a little bit about your your journey into the position that you're into now, you're in now as a, as a filmmaker. Um, <sighs> yeah. don't have to, it's go, mm. you know, it's, quite, it's a very big question, so interpret that in any way, in mm. which way you feel best. Short films, big questions. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. There it is, Living right there in the name. name. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I don't know. So um, I would describe myself at the moment as a documentary filmmaker, um, which was not really my plan ever in my life. Um, I uh, Originally, I was sort of planning on being like an academic and I was going to, you know, sit in libraries writing clever things and... Um, I studied German at university, so I was going to sort of maybe go and live in Germany and make that my life. Um, But uh, what kind of quickly became obvious to me from like trying to be an academic is it's a very like lonely profession and um, it was quite a sort of solitary existence. And I just thought to myself, I'd like to try something different. I'd like to try something that's creating something, but which is working with other people and um, where you're kind of collaboratively producing something. And so it was through that that I kind of accidentally found my way into the job that I'm in now. I went and worked in radio for a bit and then I got a researcher job in television off the back of that. And um, yeah, it's been, that's that's been the route in for me. Um, and I made my first sort of short, filmic short uh, in 2020, which was um, how we originally met at Aesthetic Film Festival. Um, and yeah, I'm making more things now. Yeah, great. And then like, am I right in thinking that you worked at the one show? Um, yes, I did. You, yes. Was that something that you <laughs> did like, did you do that straight away after you finished uh, uni or yeah, how did you get into that? That was, that yeah, so that was not long after I'd, um, so I'd done quite a lot of radio jobs at, at that point And that was kind of the start of my television career. Um, and I was, yeah, I worked at the one show for, for my very many sins for quite a long time, a couple of, sort of three, three and a half years, um, as a researcher and then as an assistant producer on the sort of like VT filmmaking team. So, um, the, the sort of short insert films about, you know, badgers and, um, verrucas and, you know, things like that, that (laughs) sort of random topics that, that you, that you find on the one show. Um, and 
it's a funny one because like a lot of um a lot of people are a little bit kind of sniffy about the one show um but I, I recommend it to to anyone really who's looking to find a way into tv because it is really like you know it's just a good school of filmmaking you you learn the structure of a story you learn how to be concise and because the turnover is so fast you know you um it doesn't have to be perfect you know as long as it's clear and does the job you know you, you're not sort of crafting something that that you're gonna you know take to Cannes Film Festival you know you're, you're just making a, a good piece of content and it is the perfect kind of environment to hone those skills it was for me anyway I think yeah and so, then so with... you would get like a sorry you get a topic or something and then you go out and try and visually convey a story or you try and like you know get the story across visually I guess yeah That's yeah exactly yeah so like they'd usually, most of the stories would have been sort of pitched and commissioned in advance. So um, what's something, I made a, a film, this is one that I got commissioned, which I was really proud of. Um, it was about um, an all girl motorcycle stunt team from Leicester who were sort of around in the seventies. And they used to sort of do these incredible like smash through plate glass on motorbikes and go through rings of fire, but all wearing like bikinis because it was the seventies. and. Um, <laughs> and then you could just do that then, and everyone enjoyed that and that was fine and no one cared about the potential of third degree burns and things like that um, <laughs> so uh, yeah we made a sort of reunion film tracking one of them down and bringing them together and so it was a, it was a big research job that it was it involved um, tracking physically tracking down people which is a sort of specialist skill that um, you need in quite a lot of the broadcast media um, but then it also involved um, working out, right, how are we going to tell their story? How are we going to use the archive? And how is that going to, um, you know, what's what's the big kind of emotional moment of this film? That's going to be the reunion. So where's that going to come? And just sort of like a simple story like that, where you're, you know, reuniting people is just a sort of, it's a nice sort of simple exercise to help you plot out the beats of the story and where they should come. And yeah. So it sounds like, sounds like, so if you, yeah, as a researcher, then you have a lot of responsibility in, in what the f film turns out to. In essence, if you, if you getting, if you bring an idea to the table, are you the director of that idea, say, for, for on the one show? Sometimes it, it wow. can, it can be. So I, I did okay. direct films as a researcher, um, because it's that kind of environment. This, this is what I mean. Like you get opportunities by, by dint of the fact that, right, the film's going out and um someone needs to make it and uh right you've you've been here for a while you you sort of feel like with the right support you could probably do it. so it, it's a great way to get opportunities to do things like direct and shoot and produce that i guess in sort of more kind of traditional prestigious um program making they're just harder to come by because you know you have to you have to wait until your moment to to step up you know it's just not like that when you're working on smaller scale lower budget basically television um so so yeah that was really good so that's why i recommend it to anyone like i probably wouldn't be yeah. able to self-shoot if i hadn't worked there um and i can do that now so yeah. sounds like a great place to have honed your craft as a director and just a storyteller i guess then yeah, yeah. I, I i mean like i'm not gonna sit here and say that anything that i made when i was on the one show was like <laughs> groundbreakingly brilliant or anything like that but that's not the point of it i don't think yeah like, so true yeah, it's just about making fun television that people can watch and understand and hopefully learn something from. Um, 
Yeah. It sounds like that's what the BBC used to be like. Jan and I went to this talk of uh, it was a director called James Hawes, and he was explaining how that's how he started when the BBC used to do really small shows and they would give young directors who hadn't really done much um, chances on really tiny budgets. And then that's how he's like, that's how I learned to tell stories in this visual medium is exactly what you're saying with the one show. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is great. Yeah, it is really like that. And, you know, there are sort of more kind of established pathways into production. Like there are, there's a BBC production trainee scheme, there's a Channel 4 one as well. But I mean, the sort of, they're so limited, the amount of people that can actually make, they're so selective and so limited that they're as brilliant as they are for like 99% of the people who want a career in TV. Like your your best chance is just like going and working somewhere where, you know, they need hands on the pump and, um, you know, you can you can really get your hands dirty. And, yeah. <laughs> I imagine you've sort of, have you decided then when you're doing stuff, okay, this is, I want to be a, what I want to be is a, is a director like from these these little videos and that's when you decided to pitch to that um, you pitched to random acts is that, is that, was that what that kind of decision came or how did that yeah I, I, well I sort of knew that I I knew that I wanted to work in TV at that point and I knew that I wanted to direct because I cause it was fun to be honest like I sort of hadn't really thought that you know at all that I would ever one day be operating a camera and working out how to tell a story for television but there I was suddenly having this sort of quite strange opportunity to do this and it was fun. So, um, and it was everything that I hoped it would be, you know, I had, it, what, you, you're not working on your own, you, you, like, you've got other people around you, you've got other filmmakers making their stuff, you've got execs, you've got um, editors that you're working with, like it was, it was that collaborative experience that, um, that I really hoped it would be. So I was like, yes, this, this is the one, this is what I want to do. Um, and uh, some sort of time elapsed, so I left the one show, went and worked for a couple of indies. Um, on, you know, I made a living history show as an AP with um, some very talented people. It's about garment factories in South Wales. Really enjoyed that. Um, and I worked in development for a bit after that, um, which is a sort of interesting thing again because you're not actually making content. You're um, it's sort of more like a selling job. So you're kind of pitching and coming up with sales pitches and things like that got to that point and I realized that I really missed filmmaking so I wanted to find a route back and my route back um to sort of cut a long story short um ended up with me pitching for the Random Acts film that um became my first short um and which we know each other from yeah which is brilliant by the way we're gonna put that we're going to put yeah that in the show notes so you know people can watch it when they've you know when they're listening to this after they've listened to this or before. It's called lesbian, mm. uh, and it's it's about lesbians, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, Random Acts is Channel 4's short art film um, commissioning strand. So if you go on YouTube and you type in channel four random acts, you will land on, um, a YouTube channel, which is full of amazing short films that have been made by, um, wonderful people. And they're all, the idea behind it is, um, it's not for films that are about art and that are about artists. So it, like, it's not for sort of documentaries about David Hockney or, um, things like that. It, the idea is the films themselves should be 
art, which sounds really pretentious, but it is just a lovely, lovely brief because the aim, what they want to commission is short films that are really kind of big and weird and um, have something um, sort of strange and profound to say about the world. Um, so it's just kind of like a dream commissioning opportunity, really, if you want to make something arty. Um, and I ended up uh, pitching into that, um, into Random Acts, as a result of a talent scheme that I'd entered where one of the sort of, one of the things that you had to do in that talent scheme was pitch a Random Acts film. So, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't sort of come to the idea of pitching a film um, off my own bat. And I probably wouldn't have done had I not had um, like someone telling me, right, you have to come up with a film and pitch into this. And, and you pitched at, is it the Edinburgh film? What was it, Edinburgh yeah. TV? And, uh... Yeah, so I, I applied for a talent scheme called Ones to Watch, which is run by um, the Edinburgh TV Festival, which is a wonderful annual um, teleconference every year. Not teleconference as in like Zoom, what we're doing now, obviously. Um, TV conference, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah, so the brief, if you, if you get on that scheme, they sort of select 30 people for that scheme who are sort of at the mid-level of their careers and looking to take the next step. If you get on, and you were lucky enough, uh, as I was, um, it turns out one of the things that they invite you to do, or they certainly did in my year, was um, come and pitch for a Random Acts film because they have a relationship with, um, with the Strand and um, the commissioner is involved. And so I, I had this sort of brief to come up with an art film that was about five minutes long and it was about something arty and I had to do it like a 90 second um like elevator pitch to the commissioner on a stage at the Edinburgh TV festival which was terrifying and there was also online months. also we will we'll link that as well definitely sure. if you want to know how to pitch <laughs> then you watch that watch that pitch because it's it's phenomenal <laughs> oh it's kind thank you I mean there, there were six of us doing those pitches and it was I, I reckon it's like the hardest that I've ever wanted to vomit in my entire uh, life. Like, don't blame you. God, so terrifying. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was very lucky in that I uh, I got the commission. So, yeah. Um, so so yeah. just to, sorry, just make make a sense in my head. So there was a talent scheme that you'd pra you'd practiced that or or like you you'd done that already beforehand, or was it all part of the same thing? Whereas at the end you pitch your film. So which yeah, it was, was all it? part of the same thing. I haven't explained. It was all part of the same thing. Okay. Yeah, so I applied for a talent right. scheme purely because I was sort of thinking like, right, you know, I want to I want to leave development. I want to get back into TV. I also kind of want to sort of, you know, I, I don't want to. I feel like I'm sort of slightly coasting a bit in my career. I want to do something exciting. I want to want to meet people. Um, so I applied for this talent scheme and uh, there are 30 people, it's like a nationwide talent scheme, 30 people get selected. It's for people in TV um, who are not entry level, but are sort of at the mid level of their careers. So sort of assistant producers, maybe. I think the, the stipulations are if you've had three years experience in the industry, um, then you can apply. Um, but you can be anything. You can be like an AP, you could be a scheduler, you could be, um, I don't know, you could be like camera operator you could be a you know wildlife drone operator like, all of those things it can be literally anything from the whole kind of gamut of the jobs that exist in television as long as you've been in the industry for three years and um so I applied for that and I uh, did various interviews and things and got a place on this scheme and so it was really just like that scheme kind of changed my life because it 
created the opportunity for me to then pitch to Random Act, which everybody, all of all 30 of us had to pitch to Random Act. Um, it, but it created that opportunity for me to do that and to then go on and make this film, which make lesbian, which has, um, it was something totally different for me. And it's really kind of changed the way that I make all of the content that I make now. And uh, so with Random Act, you obviously they give you a little, a teeny little budget uh and then they uh, is that teeny tiny and then do they guide you through the process or do they go here you go go and make it and get your team go and make this um, short film yeah more or less so um yeah i basically was given my budget which was um i think it's okay to say this. my budget was 4k um i don't know if I mean, I'm sure the budgets vary depending on the project and that's sort of ordinarily when you pitch to Random Acts, that's a conversation that you'd have. But my budget was from the outset, it was always going to be 4K. And I essentially um, was, so as part of my pitch, I had to obviously outline what I was going to do in the film and, part, and the, you know, my film was commissioned on the basis of what I was proposing seeming achievable within that budget. <laughs> um but I mean, once I had the commission, I was pretty much, I was given quite a long leash, you know, like um, I had a commissioner that I was working with who I checked in with every now and then and and just said like, you know, by the way, here's how it's coming along. Here's when we reckon we're going to do it. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, um, I have a sketchbook where I, I sort of draw out my concepts, which I suppose is not that unusual in TV and film. But I used to send her scans from that and be like, right, this is, this is what I think it's going to look like. This is what I want. And she'd come back and be like, okay. <laughs> um, she's a wonderful, wonderful commissioner like that. And um, yeah, so it wasn't the case that I had, um, you know, like a load of oversight. Um, I had basically a, a long leash and I had the opportunity to approach. That was, that was, I think, the difficult thing. Knowing how to approach people to work with you on this thing if you've never done that before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was quite lucky in that a producer friend of mine volunteered to help me with it. Um, if she hadn't done that, I would have been absolutely up shit creek. I wouldn't but you would have, you'd, you'd have had connections though in, in Cardiff and... Yeah, I would have, I would have had know. TV connections. So I had, I had, yeah. I had contacts in post-production. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, those sorts of relationships which were very valuable because I was able to get a deal on post and that you know without that it would have been really really difficult to make the budget work but in terms of like, like I'd never worked with a director of photography oh uh, right do you know what I mean I, like I'd, I'd never worked with a gaffer or um I've worked with soundies but like this felt you know in a sense bigger than anything I'd done before, smaller in terms of budget and smaller in terms of duration. But in terms of what it needed to be, um, like it was an actual proper crew, you know, like, <laughs> mm. and it needed to feel like not only like a piece of art, but something that could have some kind of life, hopefully beyond YouTube. You know, I had ambitions for it to hopefully go to festivals and, and things like that. So it felt like, shit right okay <laughs> <laughs> Good it's time. quite big yeah, yeah. so then 
Random Act happened, and it did very, very well. So, you know, you've, I think you've won some awards, and I, I don't know all the specifics, but going through, like, and, um, and after, after you, got, you had that sort of recognition, was that then, was that a sort of stepping stone for you to get your documentary work for BBC and Channel 4 yeah. and, those, and those longer form? Yeah, it, it really was. Um, so my, um, I should mention my collaborator on the film was a poet, a spoken word artist called Lisa Lux, who um, without her, the film is based on a poem that she wrote and without her you know, work, there wouldn't be um, a film. And I, I think, um, I like to think for both of us that it's really helped as a, as a calling card. Um, I can, you know, speaking just for myself, having that film exist in the world and um, you know being able to take it places um, it um, do you know I think the I think the best thing about it was it meant that Channel 4 knew who I was um, and although this was a very very small project it meant something to the commissioner that I was making it for and um, you know she she could quite easily have just thought, yeah, we'll we'll let the new director go and go and spend her four k, and then you know it doesn't really matter if it's good or bad. But she really cared about it, and she supported me through the edit, and she afterwards um, just sort of told people who I was and um, showed people in her department the film, and it meant that, like, it just meant that I sort of felt like I was a I, I was someone, you know. Um, and when it came to, you know, by the following year, I was sort of pitching for documentary work and speaking to production companies. Um, not only did it mean I could go and say, like, you know, I'd love to work with you. Um, I've made this film, by the way, um, which dropped on all four last year, and I'd love for you to see it. It, it, you know, it meant I could do that and I could sort of have something to say for myself when I was approaching companies. But it also meant that, you know, when those production companies were talking to commissioners, they could say like, oh, and we, we've been talking to this director who made this film called Lesbian, and they'd go, oh, yeah, her, yeah, we know who she is. And so it, I think um, it was just, I don't know, I mean, it's changed my life, I think. It's changed my career. Um, and that's, I think, I, I really have to give it up to Channel 4 for that because it, it felt like more than just giving some random a, a commission to make something. It felt like a conscious decision to invest in someone and to try and make that count for something beyond the lifespan of one short film. So, um, yeah, it it's great. Um, and I think they're really good people to work with in my experience. Um, mm. yeah. Nice to have that in your, in your corner as well. And, uh, yeah, it, it's one, one thing we, we said in one of the early episodes about a short film, one of the reasons to make it as a, as a calling card, and I don't think that's that was that doesn't seem like it was your motivation at all in terms of lesbian, but it turns out that it was this yeah. calling card to get you uh, to the next thing that you did, which was is it is the next thing you did the how to make it uh, on OnlyFans? That's the next yeah. thing you did. It was yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, and then so obviously you used lesbian. That was part of you know how you got to to direct this new Channel Four documentary that's came out what five yeah. months ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah, God, five months ago, exactly, yeah. Um, so How to Make It on OnlyFans is my first um, documentary feature. It was, again, I mean, 
this sounds sort of weird to say, that was um, a new director scheme commission. So Channel 4 has a documentary directing scheme called First Cut, um, which is very, um, it's launched quite a lot of like successful careers. And so it's sort of like, you know, God, wow, first, that's how I felt. I never thought in a million years I'd get to make one. But um, through having the film function basically as a calling card and through kind of maintaining relationships with the channel afterwards, um, they sort of, um, it felt like, well, she feels like she might have potential to make something, I think, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that film came about through um, conversations with a production company that I was happening who had sort of had this idea and they were looking for a new director to make it so that they could get it commissioned through First Cut. And it's sort of the pieces, the stars kind of aligned um, for me, I guess. Um, yeah, and then way. just as a bit of yeah, just as a bit of background about um, how to make it on OnlyFans. So yeah, it's like an hour long uh, documentary, um, and, and which you kind of like do a deep dive into three or four people in and um, and their kind and their journey with OnlyFans. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like you know, so Will and I both watched this, and we'll also put a link. Um, it's very easy to find on Four OD, I believe. Four OD. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, kind of like. I just wanted to, we, we wanted to know a little bit about how you go about what your process is for making something like that. Like from a, from a filmmaking standpoint, from, for me, first of all, watching it, I wonder like, do you script something like that to help you with the, with the edit? Um, or how much of it do you like, do you, do you take what you've got um, after, after a day's shoot and, okay, right, and go, okay, right, the story is going this way. I need to shoot this this um these kind of shots so i can match it with this via this voiceover i know that's a lot of questions but can you maybe talk a little bit about your process for something something like that because you don't know where the story is necessarily going to go so yeah. i mean i suppose that's a general question for all documentaries but i'm curious because there's a lot of there's a lot of voiceover in it and um yeah please feel free to take that however you will yeah no not at all um truthfully it's a bit of both i think i mean so i should say um observational documentary is I think I'm probably still figuring out how to do it, um, how to sort of how to do it really well, um, because it's it's very very hard discipline to get right for exactly the reasons that you've just outlined. You know, stories can be unpredictable, and the story that you think you're going to be making at the start can turn into something completely different, and you can sort of end up. You quite often do end up in situations where you're sort of responding to. Um, the material kind of shifting beneath your... I, I imagine it's like trying to make a dress or a like... And you've got your piece of material, your piece of fabric, and you think, right, this will be easy. I'll cut the bits out and then I'll you know, do my stitches, put it under my sewing machine. And then the material kind of disintegrates into something else <laughs> while you're like under the sewing machine. So it's, it's really... It's hard. Um, you start with any documentary... I was a bit naive to documentary when I started. I didn't really realise that with documentary, you write it before you even set out and film anything. You write it as if it's a piece of fiction almost. I mean, that sounds very glib, I know. But your um, protagonists in a documentary are characters in a story. And so you write what you think is going to be the narrative for that character over the film and is that including dialogue as well and that's that's hard to do it, it, i mean you, you write like what we call wish sync in air quotes which are the kind of things that 
you think that your characters might say and the things that you you know are likely that they might say because you've spoken to them a lot at this point and you sort of you know roughly what the story is and you know um what you what sorts of things you expect they might do um but it's a really strange discipline because you're writing just a story with characters in it um and that story has to you know they're also real people so it has to be real and it has to be their life but right from the outset you you have to sort of narrativize it and that by definition means right working out what are the really interesting bits what bits am I not going to say but what bits am I going to foreground and so it's 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 sort of almost treating your um, protagonist like like a fictional character when you're at that really kind of early conceptual stage. I know that sounds awful because it's because it's real people, but that's that's how you make it work as a narrative. And then, and it's all done, you know, as I say, on the basis of like in- extensive conversations about um, with your character about what they want their story to be and who they are and what's important to them and you know the kinds of things that you think are likely to happen in. In your filming window so it's 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 done very much in a kind of thoughtful way but you're still writing a story and that's that's the starting point <laughs> and then invariably you start making your film and something will happen um which will just you know or someone might decide that they don't want to be involved anymore or um some sort of earthquake will happen or something will happen which will just throw your story up into the air and all of a sudden you think Right. <laughs> okay. We have to respond to this and the film sort of becomes something different. I mean, my OnlyFans film in a way is quite a good example of that. So originally we were going to make a film about um, ordinary people who make their money from OnlyFans and it was going to be about their various fortunes and it was about, um, you know, they're all seeking to make more money. Are they going to succeed or not? That was going to be the story of the film and it was going to be three people are they going to have made more money at the end or not and that was going to be a sort of simple yes no question for each character but then while we were filming um only fans decided it was going to ban porn or they, they released a statement saying they were going to ban oh, pornography wow. yeah, yeah. and that created this i mean it was like narratively it was like a kind of bomb going off because it yeah. created this enormous situation that affected everybody in that industry and meant that um, all of a sudden life looked quite different. So the film became about that event um, and about the responses of ordinary people to this sort of huge thing happening um, in the online sex industry. So, yeah, it was a ride. And documentary is always a ride for that reason, I think. Because you just, yeah. you know... And then presumably you have to go, OK, how does this fit into my original kind of structure that I, that I thought of like, like what do you say wish what, how do you describe wish it wish sink <laughs> wish sink sink wish sink in it wish sink. and can I make this work as a as a tale with yeah. this na- new narrative bomb yeah um, coming off like do, do, do you have to go okay how am I going to do this once once something like that happens in the documentary yeah absolutely so the original okay. plan for the film kind of I don't mean it didn't go in the bin but um, the sort of structure that I'd written was no longer relevant because this event suddenly felt much more important to talk about and it also felt like something that belonged at the start of the film you know it felt like and you know how in, the, in all those storytelling books they talk about like inciting incidents 
Um, yeah. It felt like that was the inciting incident and the sort of event that would flip everyone's world upside down so we could then see how they reacted and, and you know, whether they'd be able to make it um, back to where they were or to somewhere else. So it, it sort of totally changed the structure of the film for the better, I think, because it, it, there was real, genuine, real life, um, I hate using the word jeopardy, but jeopardy. Um, and it, you know, it was like, it meant making a living or not to some of my mm. contributors. Um, so it added a real, like, it, it meant that I could tell the truth about that industry in a much more kind of meaningful way, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I guess not being so, um, cause I, I guess it's the same when you're doing um, fiction as well, is not being so, so rigid to your plan. I think it's much more prevalent in documentaries because you, like you say, you've just got to move around mm. if if something changes and so then so when that happened your process to then adapting with it did you then rewrite a wish sync a, a script with a wish sync there or did you just kind of go out and shoot what was happening um yeah well i do you know what if i'd been a more experienced filmmaker i would have done that i would have gone back to the drawing board and i would have like rewritten a script and um that's what I would do now <laughs> but I was still quite green um when I was making that film and I just sort of like I was like right well I guess I'll, I'll just keep kind of shooting um and like just capture as much of what's going on as possible um as you know in theory there's nothing wrong with that but what it means is you end up with like acres of footage <laughs> mm -hmm. that you yeah, then have gosh. to take into the edit and you know the edit job is a lot more complicated thing because you're trying to spot the narrative in this like wilderness of rushes that you've given yourself um so that's that's what i learned from that experience and it was very very valuable because i i would i would do that differently now yeah <laughs> well I, I was actually learnings gonna, yeah i was going to jump in there about about the edit so like when you've got everything you've got all your footage and is that the point where you go okay what would really help us out here is like a voiceover of the character saying this and some um, footage of the character looking out over the, you know, I'm just using this as a random yeah. example, over the sea in slow motion. Do you know what I mean? Like some, is that the point where you <laughs> yeah. think, okay, we need to go and do those pickups? Is that it's, right? It's so funny that you mentioned that. There is quite often um, <laughs> in documentaries a shot of the protagonist looking out wistfully over a body of water. Yeah. It's just yeah, a very yeah. useful voiceover. Shot. It's, a, it's a great <laughs> image. It, it yeah. does a job. Okay. Yeah. It says what you need it to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I should say that, like, the golden goose with documentary filmmaking is ideally right. You never want commentary in it if you can help it. Because commentary, mm. voiceover, um, is kind of mediating the film to your audience. You know, you've, you've got someone describing what's happening to you. Um, and generally, like, com is really helpful because it fills in the gaps if you haven't got that specific line of sync from your contributor where they say it themselves, or um, if you haven't quite got the shot that sets the scene and you need the audience needs to know where we are. So com is very helpful, um, but like every every director's sort of like aim is to make a film that doesn't have com in it. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> By com, you mean com commentary, commentary via... Commentary via... Right, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, in it's quite rare i think like 
you do get those docs that um that don't have commentary in them but they're quite hard to make because in order to make them you really have to have everything that you need to tell the story in your raw brushes um so yes it's quite hard um but so oh, i think it's quite hard anyway maybe other people think it's easy um yeah. anyway uh, that's why it must I don't... be so easy to, to sorry to interrupt no, no. it must be so easy to go kind of over budget if you've got like you know you need pickups of certain things or like when you go and it, the story doesn't quite you know like you say you need some calm or a little bit of extra footage to really set the scene like it must be so easy to go over budget and get the the new material um, yeah. because you're not, you know, because you're being thrust into it. It's hard to prepare, like, you know, the, the necessary amount. Is that fair? Yeah, that that is fair. Um, I think quite a lot of, of the time it's um, unavoidable that you'll need to go and get pickups. Mm. Um, and sometimes you might just need, like, an audio pickup, which is easier to do. I mean, in this day and age you can just get someone to do it into their phone if it's something really small if it's a little I really miss my dad if it's like that then they can just do it in their phone and that'll save you a lot of um budget and headache but sometimes you need to go back and reshoot something and that's like it almost feels like a dirty secret of documentary that, like that happens though like you have to do it sometimes and um mm -hmm. and it's unavoidable yeah. um yeah cool. production managers uh, don't love it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> the um, I don't know if you were there at the uh, Aesthetica when Asif Kapadia gave the talk on his documentaries, right? Yeah, we we may have, we may have yeah. gone to it again. But he, that was a really interesting because obviously his um, Amy and um, Maradona, oh, gosh, the Maradona and the Efron Racer Senna, Senna. Yeah. So they're all fully told through archive. And I know that Senna doesn't really it doesn't have a voiceover in it at all. Yeah, yeah. because I guess he has. Everything has all the archive footage where Senna's saying, but that's such a, it's insane mm. how he's managed to do that without. Yeah, uh, Capadia was saying, wasn't he talking about that? He was like, he kind of created a new genre of, of documentary, documentary filmmaking yeah. where like, like nobody's yeah. talking about in retrospect what happened or, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. the character telling their story in real time almost uh, yeah. in his archive. Yeah, yeah, so he, he he was talking about how he really consciously wanted to depart from the conventions of documentary where you get, like, commentary and you get talking heads where experts tell you what this person was like. And he really didn't want to do either of those things. Um, and he's, like, it is an incredible accomplishment that he's made mm. three feature documentaries that don't do either of those things. Um, like, it's just, it is kind of a astonishingly impressive that he's done it. but then he is the master right. and also true. he probably had quite a lot of time and quite a lot of money <laughs> yeah yeah very true um, very but yeah true. that was a fan I still think about that talk um sorry was, for, for the audience we went to a we went to a talk by Asif Kapadia. <laughs> Thank so, you for doing you our job, bro. If, if, you. if you don't know uh, Asif Kapadia, then you should go and check out his films and any interviews with him because he'll probably say very similar stuff that he said in the talk. But I, I still think about that talk a lot. The, the line that really jumped out when he was talking about making documentaries, he said, um, we lie and manipulate and distort as documentary filmmakers, we lie and manipulate and we distort, we distort in order to create truth. And I've never heard someone put it quite like that. Um, but it is absolutely bang on, you know. There is a lot in documentary where you're having to restage or 
recut or um, you know just sort of slightly manipulate what's going on. So it can feel like like the opposite of documentary sometimes, but you're always doing it in order to tell something that's true. You know, fundamentally, you are all about telling the truth. Um, but your relationship with the truth is quite complicated because you're not always being truthful while you tell the truth. It's, yeah, yeah, anyway, he's great. Everyone should listen to that Asif Kavadi talk. It's online anyway. I hope it is. Out. I, um, so I was wondering about... So I, do, I did a couple of documentaries, like, well, now like three or four years ago. And I'm, I'm wondering... And such I found them such different processes to the whole writing and then directing a short commercial, whatever. Such entirely different processes. And I'm wondering how you went... Well, I guess you were in factual stuff before you actually went into a short film. Like, how did you transition and what? how did you work differently as a director in both of those settings? So in Lesbian, for example, you, you are with, are they actors? But you're with a whole, you've got your gaffer, you've got your DOP, you've got a whole crew. Did you bring everything you taken from factual and how you were there into that setting or did you did you have to try and change yourself completely in that environment i i don't um that's a really interesting question i don't feel like i was a different person in that environment i mean so with lesbian um we weren't following actuality i guess like what we were shooting were quite kind of choreographed staged scenes um with contributors who generally they weren't moving around too much and the camera setup was static so it wasn't it was very different to sort of run and gun on the shoulder shooting actuality kind of work which is um i guess what my factual career has has involved um but i i don't know i mean i i still felt like it was basically the same job um i think uh, there were more people um who needed answers from me and um wanted to talk to me about things um but on i still lesbian or... on lesbian yeah yeah um but i i felt I, I don't know i mean maybe that's a weird answer i i just i felt like it i was just doing exactly the same job my main job regardless of the scenario whether it's documentary or whether it's something like lesbian my main job is just to know what we want <laughs> it's just to know why we're there and what we want and to be like clear and calm i think i mean that that's do you like, mean like when you say what we want do you mean like the what the story you're trying to tell is, is that what you yeah mean so that? if if you're um like if you're making a documentary your job on the day is to know what the purpose of the scene that you're filming mm. is because it is a scene okay. you know you're not just turning up at someone's house and watching yep. them for six hours it is a scene within a narrative and so your job is to know what the function of that scene is and therefore what you need them to say the shots that you need to get them into the scene and get them out and all of those things so as long as you're as long as you know what it is then the rest of the job becomes easy um That's such a good way of putting it um, <laughs> it's like it's quite hard to do though isn't it because like mm you've got to be confident in what you what you believe is the purpose of why you're there. It's the same with lesbian as well. Like the my job was just to know which shots we needed to get, how they needed to be set up, what size they needed to be. Um it was to just tell the set dresser um what I wanted 
the scenes to look like. You know, it's just it's just about knowing what you want. And if you know that, then you can answer questions and you can do it quickly, which is what your crew wants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you can do yeah. it calmly, which is what they also want, you know. So as long mm. as you're, like, if you know what you're doing and if you sort of, wow, that's so glib, isn't it? If you If you choose to back yourself and believe in what you believe you're there for um, what you need to get if you back yourself in that conviction then it doesn't really matter what questions get thrown at you because you can just you have that bedrock of um, belief in the enterprise so that's really long-winded like but no, I think that was a really nice really answer. Really it was a long-winded yeah, yeah. question, so <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice, concise answer to my question. <laughs> yeah. um, I, have, I have a quick question about, um, I guess, your process as well. Like, so you come from a background as well of visual arts, right? So you're an art, you're an artist. Wow, well, um, I call myself an artist. <laughs> well, I've seen your work. I, I'd call you an artist. Thanks. Um, does that? Can you talk a bit about what you do? As, as, an, as an artist, um, mm. and then does that have an impact on your filmmaking? Yeah, um, so I, uh, I draw and paint. Um, I work quite a lot in pen and ink um, and a little bit in oil paints as well. Um, pen and ink I quite like as a medium because um, you don't really have any room for error you know it's not like drawing in pencil where you can rub it out and start again if you get something a bit wrong stakes are high yeah (laughs) high stakes and as soon as you make a stroke on the page you can't really take that back (laughs) so I don't know maybe that says something about me I don't know but um that's the medium that I like to work in um and do you know like for a long time I sort of felt like I had sort of like a split in my creative personality I felt like I made tv that was quite sort of functional and that's going to go on the one show now here we are and I felt like by night I was this like arty person who did drawings and had weird ideas and um I it sort of felt like it wasn't really a connection between the two halves of me I sort of felt like the tv I was making was um was one half of me and and um, being properly creative was another half. I think lesbian changed that for me because for the first time in my career, I was being asked to make, you know, nominally a TV project, I guess, a short film project. I was being asked to make something for the screen that was not like factual telly, that was actually like the note that I got from, from my commissioner was make it bigger make it weirder, make it, <laughs> make it more subjective, make it more artistic. And so that project was the first time that I'd had to reconcile my, you know, the way that I knew how to be a director and also like this sort of other part of my life that I'd never really let in. <laughs> and that's why it was such a meaningful project for me because that, that's why I say I, I credit it as having changed the way that I make um films it's it's made me try and kind of approach projects with the sort of weirdo artist part of me like actually involved in the in the deal <laughs> in the yeah. package I try and like I don't know I like to sort of try and um be inventive in the places that I shoot things and you know I'm now I think more about how can I make this a feast for the eyes or how can I make this 
how can I put some visual imagery in here? Or how can I just make this, um, make this do more than giving people information? Um, mm -hmm. I think that was, that was how I used to make TV. Yeah, you get that. I mean, in the OnlyFans documentary, there's a shot that you have, which is like, when the I can't remember her name, but it's it's the main the the one teaching people about how to succeed in OnlyFans, and you've got her like in the middle of the frame in a in a completely pink room, and it's lit in such a way that it's just all pristine. Yeah. Um, and I can't tell you exactly why it works, but it really does, and it really says something about her character in terms of she has a, a, everything together. Perhaps I don't know, but um, you know, it was striking to me. So it I'm doesn't. Glad you liked um, it. I guess I'm saying that like. <laughs> You know what you're saying totally does ring true or rang true for, for me. In the oh, do, thanks. Do you yeah. think then? Then because obviously you did the OnlyFans documentary after you'd done Lesbian, where you found that all of that kind of combined, that it informed quite a bit of how you shot uh, the OnlyFans documentary. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm really like chuffed that you um, picked out that location, Yain, because like. I sort of, I decided with that, um, with Lesbian actually, weirdly, sorry, I'm jumping around. With Lesbian, um, it was all shot in a sort of derelict, um, sort of unloved looking, um, sort of, they were supposed to look like domestic settings, you know, they were supposed to be characters in their homes, sort of, was the vibe. Um, and I think I have a bit of a, like, affinity for domestic settings when I, when I shoot things. Because what I wanted to do with OnlyFans, I decided the master interviews... I wanted them, <laughs> I wanted to shoot them in just a very sexy house. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that location that, uh, that you mentioned, Jai, there's this sort of gorgeous, it sort of looks like a porn palace. It's this big pink mm. room. Um, that's a, a location in Kent, and it's got, we shot all the master interviews there. It's got various rooms in it, and they're all, each one more kind of, vaguely pornographic than the last um and I loved that about it because it was this combination of something that felt just really like sexual but also just like a normal house <laughs> and that's that's what OnlyFans is to me or that that's that's how I you know my experience of sort of being in that world for a little bit is like yeah it's it's really sexual it's really explicit it's assholes and tits and gooches and smelly feet and piss and shit and it's all of that stuff but it's also just really prosaic it's just really ordinary people in their like quite modest homes who once the camera's off go and you know have a pint or go and walk the dog or do whatever so that combination of um like just domestic everydayness and like really explicit filth <laughs> I wanted right, a location right. that did that and uh -huh. I got quite lucky in finding that house but um but yeah I mean to answer your question well like I don't think I'd have put that much thought into it if I hadn't worked on lesbian and you know been really challenged to visually um to make every part of the visuals mean something it I feel like the your artist background does truly come through in that random acts um um, you know, lesbian, and that you can tell you, you kind of have that interest. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I recommend everybody to to watch Lesbian. Um, I think it's really really strong. It, every it's it's composed amazingly, and then just the paint yeah. and 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 the art direction, everything is 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 awesome. <laughs> Thank um, you. 
But yeah, no, but I I think it actually does come through in your in your um, weirdly in the in your uh, documentary as well, which seems like such a polar opposite thing, like an art arty short film and then a documentary oh. that you self shot. But it's like I don't know, there's some some something has come over. Like yeah, that like you were mentioning sing. there with the that's uh, great. <laughs> Randomax, going back to that, you had to pitch for Randomax. Yes. And a lot of the time we haven't really gone into this on any of our podcasts yet. And I thought it'd be really good to go into because with short filmmaking and just with directing in general, you have to pitch. You have to be pitching your ideas to your crew, to producers, to people with money. Um, and you, you're just pitching all the time. You're pitching yourself and you're pitching your ideas. And your pitch on Random Acts, which we again, we're going to link in the show notes, is so great. And I was wondering what... What's your process behind that? Like your process behind like writing the pitch and then delivering it in such a succinct way? Because you're only up there for like what five minutes? Less than ninety seconds. And you've got no sorry. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And you've got to you've really got to to hone everything in on in that ninety seconds and it's yeah. and make it really interesting and something that you've got to want to see and that everyone's going to want to put money in. And I just yeah. Wondering if you could talk a bit more about that. The brief was to um, pitch a film that was about a poem. So the first, the first thing I did was explain what this piece of poetry was and like what it was saying about the world. And I guess like if you're not pitching a film about poetry, the equivalent of that is just explaining what this film is about. <laughs> and like ideally within like four sentences something like that. I mean, the fewer sentences you can use, the better. But as long as whoever is listening to that, who's coming to this with no knowledge and maybe not very much interest, as long as they understand within the first, like, 20 seconds of you speaking what the film's about, then then that's a good start. So that was the first thing. Explain what it was about. And in my case, it was about lesbians and it was about the word lesbian and why some queer women don't use it anymore. And it's to do with decades of baggage connected to all sorts of different connotations. Um, But the first thing I did was explain that. Then I explained why it was important and timely. And this was sort of calculated because I knew that that commissioner was looking for a film that felt timely. So I dedicated a little bit of time to explaining this is a really, you know, this conversation is happening all across social media right now. Um, The poem that I was writing about was um, linked to, I don't know if you guys remember, there was like an attack on a London bus in 2019 where um, some gay women had been like punched in the face by some kids. So it was connected to a bit of current affairs that I could mention, which made it feel like, oh shit, this is contemporary, right? This isn't just a sort of random thing that she's pulled out of the air. This is connected to right now. So that was the sort of middle bit and I think the end the last sort of 30 seconds of it I think was dedicated to what I'm going to do in this film to bring that to life and that's quite a lot to squeeze into 30 seconds but I basically said um so here's what I'm going to do half of it is going to be the poet speaking down the lens because I wanted to be a direct address um and I think I can really capture the way that she moves in that way Um, And half of it's going to feature a cast of real lesbians and um, I'm going to get them to do X, Y and Z. um, And we're going to use the editing in a certain way to, you know, emphasise this. So um, it was sort of like divided into three bits like that, which is not like any particular school of pitching. It was just like those are probably the most important things that I think you need to know in order to have 
faith in me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all about it's giving about, faith in you yeah. yeah what it's about why it's important and what the fuck you're going to do um that that was my approach and like once i'd sort of i took me i don't know am i allowed to swear on short films big questions yayan we're pro swearing here <laughs> at short films big questions that's well, yayan's catchphrase <laughs> everybody always asks that and i always also yayan's been stealing my catchphrase all of this episode you keep saying link in the show notes i'm like you <laughs> it's my catchphrase it's a, it's a good yeah, catchphrase sorry, man. Get a new one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. well um yeah, yeah just... she was saying like you had, you had it's a three-part structure almost. yeah were you were you guided that with within that and the Edinburgh talent scheme no, as well. No, not at all. They didn't. Not at all. Okay. I was I was kind of self guided, and it took me. Mm. This is where I'm going to swear. Fucking forever <laughs> to work on <laughs> that pitch. I worked on it for about a month, writing it and rewriting it, and wow. getting incredibly frustrated with myself for not getting it right. And yeah. practice, like I used to send it to mates as a written thing, yeah, and get feedback on it, and then go and rewrite it, and um go and talk to Lisa, the poet, a bit more about what she thought that it should be. And, like, an insane amount of work for 90 seconds. Uh, but it took me fucking forever. And by the time I reckon I'd, I'd, I'd got the written pitch, I used to, like, I spent about a week just recording it onto my phone. I did little video recordings of it that, that I'd send to people. I'd say, do you understand this? Do you get this? Fresh, like, pretty much everyone in my life saw uh, that pitch before I delivered it, it on stage. it worked out for you. Hard work paid yeah, off. Yeah, but I mean, as, as well as like, do you know what the last bit of that process was all about was just like making sure that I bought it myself. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, I, I thought there's no way I can get up on stage and convince someone to buy what I'm selling if I don't, by it most like if I'm confident and if I if I like convince this cynic she says pointing at her temples if I can convince myself that this can actually be good and that I can do this then I stand a fighting chance of being able to convince that person I'm sitting opposite so it was that was quite a lot of what I was doing in that process as well I mean that sounds like great pitching advice for anyone yeah. about to do a pitch to me <laughs> not really that I pitch very often but you know um <laughs> We yeah. got um, some advice on my course about pitching and um, we had a challenge which um, was to pitch. So one of the tutors gave us famous film titles nice. and then he gave us 20 seconds to sell him the film. And he was brutal <laughs> about it. Like some of, yeah, some of them, you know, I got I, I got a few that did quite well. And then I, I messed up the Batman, the one with the Joker in, Heath Ledger in. And literally, I think I just said some really boring stuff. He's like, well, that sounds fucking shit. <laughs> and then moved on. But it's so a really what, you'd good get challenge. Like, he'd give you like Romeo and Juliet or whatever. And yeah, like, or Back to the wow. Future or... Star-crossed Jump. lovers. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you've got to use those <laughs> yeah. kind of like, those kind of, that kind of like, so many yeah. adjectives, adverts, whatever, you know. And it's yeah. really about, like you just said, it's like, do they get what it's about? And is it enticing? And then I guess when you're pitching yourself, can you deliver that project? Yeah. Which is really um, <laughs> great advice. Great yeah. advice. And then do that within Channel 4 and the BBC, are you having to pitch or are you being asked um, yeah. at this point? It's quite, I think it's more, it's unusual for directors to like pitch their own projects 
um, and make them, I think, um, because there are whole teams of people whose entire job it is. But you don't have to, to you wouldn't have to like pitch to direct, for example, um, would you? You, or... you might have to, but not, mm-hmm. not in a sort of formal way or anything where, um, where, you know, you write a deck or, you know, do all of that business. N- n- nowhere near as formal of a thing, is it? But, um, you might, you know, have a conversation with an exec who's sort of eyeing you up to maybe direct a film, and if you know you're having that chat, then you best believe <laughs> you best believe you should think about that film in advance and how mm-hmm. what interests you about it. You know, come with a few, even if it's just like a little sentence here and there to drop in. You know, what I think is really interesting is, um, uh, you know, when the character. Uh, mentions that he'd like to go on that journey well i thought we could if we shot that here um then that could also speak to you know it's all of that sort of stuff and you don't have to like go into acres of speech about it but i think you always want to be demonstrating that you've thought about it and you've got ideas so um yeah yeah (laughs) and then like so with with what you the work you're doing for channel four and and then with bbc as well are you contracted into? I'm just I'm just curious about the specifics now, less about process, but, but more about like how it all works from a work basis. Are you working on a freelance basis, like as and when, or are you contracted into a series of projects? Like how does that work? Yeah, exactly? I I am freelance, so uh-huh. um, I move from project to project. I am like the wind. Yeah, you like the wind. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, um, so you kind of. All right. Uh, yeah. So. Um, For example, I'm currently uh, working on a film which will deliver in a couple of weeks' time and um, I don't yet know uh, what my next project's going to be after that. Um, So there is always, like, an element of the fear in Capital. Yeah, sure. The The freelance fear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So there is that, but um, I think as a freelance... I mean, definitely in my game, probably in yours as well, there is um, a real... You, you sort of get used to the rhythm of it and you come to appreciate a couple of weeks downtime for what they are, which is like a chance to reset <laughs> and cleanse. So, um, so yeah, I don't know what my next project's going to be, but um, that's kind of cool. I'm all right with that. It'll come yeah. along soon enough and then I'll be back, <laughs> back on the wheel again. <laughs> In um, Lesbian, and then obviously you've done all your doc stuff as well. I was just interested in, in your process of like directing real people versus actors. Not that actors aren't real people, but you know, having yeah. in, in lesbian, lesbian, you said you cast uh, actual lesbians. Were they actors? Were they just normal people that mm. wanted to be on camera or, you know, that's yeah. a different realm to what I work in and what Yarin works in as well. Yeah, do you know, I've never worked with an actor. That's really interesting. So yeah, in Lesbian, they were um, all of the people that you see on screen. So Lisa, obviously, is a performer, but um, all of the other characters that you see on screen, I still don't even call them characters almost because they're people. Um, they were contacts, friends of friends, um, people that I reached out to who were lesbians and I thought might be up for doing it. And thankfully, they were. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Um, I think it's always incumbent on you as a director to be clear, isn't it? And I guess that all starts, again, with just understanding your own vision for it and being confident in what you want. Um, because once you are, you you will be able to communicate that, um, hopefully. Um, so it's, it wasn't that different, I think. Certainly not to anything that I'd tried before. 
Um, because, you know, when you're directing documentary as well, obviously you're not working with actors, you're working with real people. Um, it's funny though, with, with docs, like there's, filming is filming, right? Whatever the genre, there's always stopping and starting and retakes and things like that. And so quite a lot of the time um, with documentary filming, you'll have to say to your contributor, oh, well, can you do that thing again for me, please? You know, when you, um, you know, when you went and picked the cat up there, or you know, when you went and made that cup of tea, we just need to, I just need to shoot that again with you. Um, and like, it's funny, like people pick it up really quickly. They're, they're like, yep, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and um, everyone's different, obviously, but I'm always sort of surprised and delighted at how quickly, you know, so far all of the documentary contributors that I've worked with have sort of understood what I needed and, and got used to the the fact that they might need to just like give me a line again. Do it again. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found that hard when I've had real real people I've had to do another take and then it's just never the same. Because yeah. with an actor, a lot of the time it's actually better. And then the second time you do it with a, uh, someone who's not an actor, it's like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is that. Like, sometimes you just know, like, oh, the moment's gone. I'm never going to be able to get yeah. that. And, um, and that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So so how do you get how do you get coverage? Because in, in, in the Hayley Goes Naked, there's a bunch of scenes and there's coverage in them. So there's a wide shot for context a wide shot at just a kitchen table where she's talking to a, someone who's on OnlyFans or, or, or who's doing what she, she's thinking of doing. And you've yeah. got coverage. There's like three different angles. How, how, how? Because wow. <laughs> I thought it was only um, one camera. Well, actually, no, on that shoot, we, for most of the scenes, we were shooting on three cameras. So we had a three camera. Ah, okay. is. So I wasn't that shooting that. I was working with a cameraman uh, who had that setting as standard that he, he was able to bring to our shoots which was incredible because it takes a lot of pressure off you having to stop yeah. retake start again what i will say is that um the presenter on that show Haley pierce i'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this um because it's a compliment um she is one of the greatest presenters that i've ever ever worked with she is like extraordinarily good at delivering a retake and exactly really? the cadence that she did it before. And it is such a skill. It's very, very rare that you'll meet someone who I guess is like an actor in that way, um, but who isn't. <laughs> so um, so she's she's brilliant. And um, yeah, but I mean, a lot of this, like there were sequences that we, sh we shot with some naturists, for example, in one of the scenes there, we shot with some um, ladies who strip off for a charity calendar that they make. And, you know, all of those people are just real people that we did have to, you know, direct and, you know, produce them to, you know, do things a certain way or say things a certain way. And everyone picks it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> you do, I, I know what you mean. You do, you do miss though, when you miss a moment though, when you miss a sort of beautiful bit of actuality and you think, oh shit, never going to be able to retake that. That is a shame. And then did you, um, did you self shoot the OnlyFans doc? I did, yes. Wow. Yeah. For some reason, I thought I saw in the credits like there was a multiple DPs, but maybe I'm getting so, that confused. No, no, you're, you're okay. absolutely right. Um, so I self shot uh, the, all of the actuality uh, of the OnlyFans documentary, um, but I worked with, for the master interviews in that um, sexy house, uh, I worked with two fantastic uh, directors of photography, Al Livingston and uh, Paul Hawkins. So um, I had two days of shooting there. One DAP did one day and the other one the other day. Um, so, yeah, they uh, that's sort of usually the way that it happens in documentary. Um, there isn't enough money for a 
um, cinematographer across the whole. So they project. come and go. They basically yeah. Yeah, come and go for the when yeah, they're needed. Yeah, you, you pick. You pick when you need them <laughs> the most. It is unbelievable that you do that all on your own. <laughs> that you that oh. you kind of or for the majority that you self shoot that entirely. When you're shooting these docs and you do have DPs, so like whether whether the Haley Pierce one or you've got a bigger a bigger scene with the OnlyFans documentary, how are you? Um, how are you directing the DPs here? Like, are you are they kind of roaming a bit more free because it's a documentary and you're kind of you're more in you know involved with the performer or the the real people there? Like, how are you? How does that? How would that differ necessarily from say lesbian? I know you. I know we kind of covered this a bit anyway, but I'm I'm curious as to how you interact with the cinematographers. That's all right. Um, so I think um, personally, <laughs> I I love working with camera people. I love working with DOPs and cinematographers um, because I just think it's just such a thrill to have someone who is an expert at creating beautiful pictures on your team. And so my approach. I think it's just a waste of that person if, you know, if I come in and tell them exactly what to do. I <laughs> just think, like, what is the point of having this wonderful opportunity to work with a really creative person if you're just going to dictate everything? So it is a sort of fine line between um, giving that person enough understanding of what, you're, what, what you want to create overall um, and letting them bring themselves to it and, and do something great. So um, with... Um, with Haley, with with the Haley show, for example, I mean, so I was working with a, a cameraman called Phil Chapel, who's very good. Um, generally, I would say to him, "Well, this is sort of this is what the location is." I'd send him some pictures in advance when I could, um, so that he could sort of work out what he thought the best angle to shoot the interview would be, or whatever the scene was. So I'd try and give him as much information as possible before we went and shot something. Um, and I would let him have ideas of his own about it. And then when we got there, we'd compare notes. He'd tell me what he thought was going to work. I'd say, mm, can we maybe do this? Can we can we maybe have her sat there instead? Or can we maybe get her coming in through that door and follow her in or whatever? Um, and then we'd sort of work it out on the day. But it, we'd both be coming at it from a sort of informed perspective. Um, and he is this kind of cameraman who enjoys doing that. He likes thinking about things in advance. Um, so that worked Um quite well on that mm-hmm. one um yeah i mean there were okay. yeah it's, yeah it's like bbc3 and bbc3 has like certain there's a sort of bbc3 style of um of like shooting i don't you guys might have seen it if you watch much bbc3 but there's they like to sort of ramp footage so they shoot a lot like a, a sort of i guess hallmark of the network is um things shot in um at a fast frame rate, so quite slow motion and just sort of ramping the speed up and down. Um, So there were a lot of walking shots that I did with Hayley where I knew that in the edit, right, we're going to need to do that. So with those, I individually storyboarded the walks that she would do and the shots that we would get. And I physically showed the cameraman like a storyboard, right, I need this shot, this shot, this shot. And we'd, you know, like we must have done walks about 20 times for each sequence, (laughs) which is overkill in most other contexts. But because I knew that we wanted to do that to make it feel like BBC Three, then I was a little bit more prescriptive with um, with what I wanted. When you say lots of different sequences, sorry, Will, when you say lots of different sequences, you mean lots of different places? You would do like 20, is that what you mean? mean, Or the same? I I mean, literally... The walks that I would film her doing to get her into a scene. So, um, yeah. so she's going to go and meet this contributor to talk about um, 
underwear or OnlyFans or whatever. Um, but to get her in, we need uh, shots of her walking there. So right. we're going to shoot that walk. We're going to shoot the shit out of that walk. <laughs> and from lots of different angles, like on a gimbal, one where it's just her feet, um, one where it's the back of her head and right. she turns around and winks at the cat. Like all like little things like that, which when you're watching the programme go by in mm-hmm. five seconds, they're quite important to the look and feel of the product. And so yeah. it sounds probably bonkers, but I put a lot of like literal storyboarding into those walks. Wow. <laughs> Just to get uh, that BBC yeah. sort of vibe. Was um, it purely yeah. a, pra- a practical... Well, obviously you've got to get the vibe across, but then a practical thing of... I need her to go from here to here, so we need to shoot this walk. Or was there a, on this specific walk, I need her, you know, going back and winking at the camera because at this point in the story, something naughty is going to happen, you know, she's going and doing that. Or I don't know, is there... I mean, like, it was more, I think, so that you're right, they're, they're really functional bits of, like, connecting tissue between scenes. Those, like, walking shots are walking shots. And they can yeah. be really boring. That's the thing about them. You watch a thousand documentaries or features or um, like sort of, you know, normal sort of tele features. And it will just be a big long shot of a contributor walking through the frame. And that's fine. But if you want to make it more interesting and you want to make it feel cheeky, then it's worth it's worth sort of throwing like different approaches at it and that I you know that is what they do on BBC3 so I knew that I wanted to sort of make something that fitted and it was just about sort of thinking right okay what how can I how can I make this feel like it's got a bit of her personality in it and it's more than just a shot of someone walking (laughs) so like that's where things like getting her to sort of flip around and make eye contact with the camera and just do something a little like a little cheeky gesture something like that just to make it feel like it's got personality and and like yeah, just to make it not boring. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I, I had one more question on this, if that's all right. Um, uh, what's it like? Because you only directed one of these episodes, right? And there are quite mm-hmm. there are like eight, is it? If I'm the Haley series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What and what's it like coming in and only doing one with an already? So she's obviously. You know, in terms of like, you know, where you are on the spectrum, she's the because she's in every episode. So it's more her show essentially than it is your show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What's that that kind of like in terms of collaborating with her or does she not really care about where the camera was placed or how you were doing any of that? Was the, Uh, just, I'm curious, I'm always curious about that because often TV directors will come in and only do one episode and that sounds really intense to me because everyone knows you so so well already and you come in and you are... You know, everyone yeah. needs to now listen to me for this one episode. So yeah. well, it's wonder what that process was like. I think it's quite humbling because, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That series is not my baby. It's Haley's baby. And it's the baby of the production company who pitched it and developed it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I wasn't going to go in there and try and reinvent the wheel. It was about looking at um, what they had done previously that worked well, noticing what she was good at which is like, she's a brilliant presenter and she's fantastic at ad-libbing. So like, I knew straight away that like, I just, I want to get as much as possible of Hayley. Yeah, she's very, very funny. She's very funny. She's, um, she's straight out of my steg and she like, she's so, you you don't see. Which by the way, this might not be interesting to anyone, but my whole Welsh family are from my steg. Did did I take, 
Did you know this? I, I know oh, okay, that. that's why you said yeah. countryman. <laughs> so, so I recognized all those, well, not all of them, but like, the that, you know, that restaurant? In. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, this is, and she's literally like, you know, she sounds exactly like my whole family from yeah. that area. And so like, the way she is, is just yeah. like, my steak through and through. Yeah, yeah she's brilliant. Um, so yeah. anyway, uh, to sort of answer the question, um, I don't know, I mean, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. I didn't, I wasn't going in there thinking like, I am going to make a film that will be my signature. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of job, you know. It was like I wasn't trying to be an auteur or to um, make something like Lesbian, which would be a calling card in that way. It was it was an opportunity to go and work on this already successful franchise and um, have fun in other ways, you know, like have fun working with a really talented individual in the form of Paley, um, have fun working with a crew. And, you know, obviously I brought myself to it in the way that I um, told the story. You know, I, I didn't pitch that story. I didn't I didn't decide to, to work on that film. But I, I was like thinking about, you know, like, OK, right. So we're making a film about nudity. We're making a film about... Um, online nudity how would I want to be talked about if I was doing that and what's the kind of location that I can put someone in that um that will feel a bit different to you know any other film you know I don't know it was lots of sort of conversations like that with myself about how to make this feel like a, a Rose Baker film about nudity um and one of the answers to those questions was um involved me myself Getting naked and directing yeah. in the news. <laughs> Getting involved. <laughs> Should we great. explain yeah. that? I don't know. We filmed with some Watch it. The link will be in the show notes yeah. for you to watch anyway. So. Yeah, you'll get it. Good. I don't know. I think it might be that time for uh, the new favourite feature of, of short films, Big <gasps> Questions. Is it the biggest question? It's the biggest, the biggest of all questions here at Short wow. Films. Big question. I don't questions. know about that. I think it's a big question, though. It's I think it's the question. question, though, isn't it? It's the question. It's not the biggest. It's just the question. <laughs> the to finish everything off. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone you, should know what's, what's coming now. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, Yian. Gosh, what would I do? Um, the honour of asking. So, Rose Baker, um, <laughs> what is your favorite short film or something that you've watched a short that you've watched that has just blown your mind so this is a bit left field because you might i guess um suspect that it would be something factual or that it would be a documentary mm. short but it is not oh. my favorite short is um an animation a french animation called les ventres um, Les Ventres. Les Ventres, which means the bellies. Um, and it's by a filmmaker called Philippe Grammaticopoulos. Um, How do you spell Le Ventre? Uh, so L-E-S, Les, French plural. Um, yeah. Yain is notoriously bad at languages, <laughs> by the way. Ventre is V-E-N-T-R-E-S. Great. Um, okay. And it's about... Um, it is about snails and escargot and oh. people eating snails um but it turns into it's a kind of um surrealist masterpiece which turns into a sort of sci-fi dystopia where the 
what? snails eat the people. And um, oh. I, I saw this when I was, um, I, I guess I was a teenager, and it was, like, it was the strangest, funniest, most beautiful short film I'd ever seen, and um, I just thought, I want to make something one day that. Um, knocks me for six knocks people for six as much as this film has knocked me for six um so that's that's i think the aim i don't know if i've got that yet but i will do i think you, <laughs> will. I think you definitely Chris. will <laughs> <laughs> definitely will um, yeah if that doesn't sell it to our listeners i don't know what works that sounds yeah incredible. and, and you. I hope where can you watch it where can you watch that on youtube or... uh, yeah i'll try and find a few it was um it was on YouTube when I watched it many moons ago in the noughties. Um, but yeah, it's it's just incredible. I love it so much. Awesome. Les ventres. Okay. Les ventres, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Rose. That's been amazing, honestly. So, so, yeah, so fun so to good. chat to you again. Thank you. Well, do you know what? I think it is a really lovely advertisement for film festivals, the fact that we're having this conversation. Because we met yeah. at a film festival and we there connected over our work. And um, isn't that just one of the loveliest things about them? Yeah. Very, I mean, very there's, true. you know, winning prizes and having, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. having your film on a But it was a, such an amazing week. It was just like, ah, oh, let's go have beers. Let's go watch some more short films. Let's go chat. Let's go to a talk. I was like, I'm yeah. at uni again, but I'm like, doing yeah. what I want yeah. to do. It's, it's so, so great. True. It's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> and go back. a way with like connections and not. Mm. I mean, everyone thinks the most valuable connections from those things are connections to commissioners and people who fund you. But for me, it was like meeting you guys and meeting other filmmakers and feeling like you're part of a sort of network of peers. Um, so this is really nice. Thanks for that. Oh, so nice. <laughs>